All right. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we look at his words. Father, I just want to thank you that you've given us the Bible. And um, we don't stand over it, it stands over us. Thank you for your revelation. Timeless, transcends culture, transcends different fads and phases that we go through, Lord. It's, it's eternal. Thank you you don't change. Thank you you are the same yesterday. Stand forever. So we come with reverence to your word. We come with humble hearts. And we say, Lord, change us. Pray we'll be teachable. Pray you give us ears to hear what you're saying. That somehow, Lord, in the spirit, we'll be able to understand that God is speaking through these words today. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, we're going to look at being good. <laughs> Does that sound exciting? <laughs> no. We had a marriage night, a marriage enrichment night a few months ago, and um, it was a church thing, not just me and Davina, a church thing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I called, it, I called it an emergency marriage enrichment night for just me and Davina. No, it was a church thing. And, and uh, part of the evening, we would split up into couples and we would go through various questions. And one of the questions was um, something like, um, What do you most admire about one another? Something like that. And uh, um, Davina said, You're good. I thought, <laughs> oh. say, and, uh, and so my next question was, is that attractive? She's like, yeah. I thought, oh, okay, it's fine then. You know, I just, it's only really boring. It's, to be honest, it's only really. And so the passage we're looking at today it talks about being good. So I looked up in in the Encarta uh, World Dictionary of English what goodness means, and it says this: it's the quality of being good. <laughs> Great, well that's really inspiring So um, that didn't help much So uh, what I did was I've got a kind of a Bible dictionary Where it looks at the original language And there's two words for goodness That we're going to look at in today's passage One means beautiful So to live a good life means to live a beautiful life Something attractive about it And the other means well doing Or good deeds Or do, to be a do-gooder Which doesn't often carry... Um, positive connotations, but it's meant positively. So, so if you like, you've got the one which is descriptive, it's beautiful, and, and then, but what does a beautiful life look like practically is the other thing, which is that it's good deeds. It's, it's living a life where you do good things. And we're going to look at that and unpack that a bit today. So I'm going to read to you from the, um, the book of 1 Peter, which is, we're going in a series through 1 Peter. It's a very small book if you're not familiar with it, but you've got a Bible. It's towards the end. If you go to Revelation, which is the last book, and then work your way back, you'll get there soon. Um, and it's the first letter that Peter wrote, and um, we're in chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 11. All right. So he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, who knows what sojourner means? I don't even know if I'm, if I'm pronouncing it right. I often have a mental block with um, pronouncing certain words. Have I said it right? Sojourner? Yeah, it means traveller, journeyer, that's where we get our word journey from. I urge you as travellers and exiles, people that don't belong, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Strong language. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles beautiful. That's the word there. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your beautiful deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Then he goes on. What does that look like? He says this. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake, so obey every human institution, whether it's the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise the do-gooders. For this is the will of God, that by being a do-gooder, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Okay, we're going to work through those verses today. So the first verse, beloved, I urge you as travellers, journeyers, and exiles, strangers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now what Peter does, as, as what all the Bible writers do, is this. They take what you are, and then they say, because this is what you are, this is how you should live. They don't just say, be good. They don't just say, oh, do your best. They don't do that. They say, no, no, think about what you've become. Think about now you know God, now you've been born again. What he's made you, think about your new identity, and then out of that, live in a way that lines up with it. So the Christian life is about developing a lifestyle that matches up with what you really are who you really are. It's not about, which sometimes you hear people talking, it's not about really denying everything that's really true about yourself and trying to kind of live religiously to please God. That's not the case. If you're born again, if you've come to know Jesus, then your deepest part wants to please God. So it's working out, who am I now I'm born again? And then getting your life and your attitudes and the rest of the way you live and pulling that in to what you are so that you're living out truly who you are in Christ. That's how Peter and the other Bible writers approach this. Now, I listened to Dave's message from last week online where we spoke about who we are as a church. Us, 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 us. Not me, me, me. Great. Very, very important. If you weren't here, it means nothing to you, but don't worry. It's very, listen to it online. Okay. Our identity as the church, that we are a supernatural entity. That we are supernatural. That we're not natural. That we're not just a club, a group, a society. God has brought us together by working a miracle in each of our hearts, calling us to be born again and then drawing us together so that our lives can be shared in Christ. That's what we are. Um, I want to read to you, this is a very, this guy, his, his book is called The Passionate Preacher. It's about a man called Robert Murray McShane. He died aged 29. Young, young man to die. People said of him that when he preached, he had eternity stamped on his brow. Just loved Jesus. This is what he says about the church. He says, All other houses and temples will decay. The tabernacle is long sunk into dust. The temple of Solomon has been ploughed over so that not one stone was left upon another. The house of prayer where we are met will soon become a ruin and the passing traveller will stop to ask the name of the grey mouldering stones buried under ivy. Our bodies have the seeds of death and decay in them. The fairest and best loved head shall soon be a round white skull with hollow openings where the eyes have been, and worms shall move within. The world on which we shall walk, the, the world on which we walk shall stagger soon like a drunken man. The mountains are already crumbling down. What shall remain? The Church of Christ. It is indestructible. 
It has no seed of decay or death in it. The older it grows, it grows the more perfect. Every stone of it becomes more perfect every day. The world is but the scaffolding around it. When the world is blazing on fire under judgment, the church of Christ will shine forth, clear as the sun and fair as the moon. You like that? It's the church. That's the church. That's what we are. If you are born again, if you know God and you are part of a congregation, you are the church. This is who you are. Contrary to popular opinion, the church is not a building of bricks or stones. It's a building of people who rest their entire weight on Jesus, who's the cornerstone. We rest our entire weight on him, held together by the love of the Holy Spirit. That's who the church is. And so we can be called travellers, exiles. We're not at home here. We're not at home here. We're an outpost of heaven. That's what we are. We speak of another age to come. The way we live, the way we are, it should speak and point to the new age to come when Jesus returns. The way that we conduct ourselves is different. It's not the same as the world. We'll look at some of those things in just a minute. We're God's household, a city on a hill, shining, radiant. And so Peter says, in light of that, abstain from the passions of the flesh. What are the passions of the flesh? I've got a list of about 20 things here. Here they are. I've taken them from different lists in the Bible. Sexual immorality. Impurity, stealing, greed, gossip, disobedience to parents, malice, slander, murder, pride, boasting, insolence, self-love, folly, faithlessness, deceit, heartlessness, ruthlessness, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Quite a lot. Different lists, things from different parts of the Bible as to these are the passions of the flesh. There will probably be everyone in this room, one of those things has gone, ooh. Yeah? I know when I prepared this, one of those things went, ooh. I thought, ah. What does Peter say? Peter says, abstain. He doesn't say you're not going to have the passions of the flesh. He says you will, but don't vent them. Don't feed them. Which is very interesting because the world says the opposite. The world says the exact opposite. We are actually encouraged to vent the passions of the flesh. Some examples. If it feels good, do it. Yeah? It just felt good, felt right at the time. That's what I do it then. People often live like that. That very often means you end up venting the passions of the flesh. Or, if you feel angry, let it rip. Better out than in. Don't want to have it all pent up, do you? That's the philosophy of the world, isn't it? Don't have it all pent up. No, come on, you got it. If you're feeling it, you're feeling it, go. Let it out. Is that what Peter's saying? Interesting. Or, if you get the opportunity to do someone down in order to make yourself look better, make the most of it. Make the most of it. Someone at work, they're not quite... Yeah, well, just mention. Just make, make, let, let the boss know it was them because that will make you look... Envy, rivalries. It's passions of the flesh. Or, here's one, so what if she's married to someone else? If you feel as strong as you do about her, you can't be wrong. I've had Christians, Christians do that. Christian guy who married, kids, left his wife for another woman. When, when someone tried to just say, reason with him, he said, no, you don't understand. This is God. He said, what do you mean this God? The, the strength of feeling is deception. It's complete deception. But you, 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 we live in such a feelings-based kind of 
thing. It's, nah, it's okay. It's just, you know, just you're feeling it in your heart. Go with it. Roll with it. Put the record on. Get the music for you. Yeah, go. Yeah. No. We're told that that's the better way. We're told this is, that'll keep you from frustration. It'll keep you from missing out. What does Peter say? Peter says this. These passions wage war against your soul. They'll kill you. They will kill you. They'll kill the life of God in you. What God's trying to do is nurture your spirit man and, and, and just the new nature to just nurture it. Peter's saying if you get into that stuff, you start going down that road, you're going to kill what God's doing. That's what will happen. It may happen subtly, it may happen slowly, but you will find a decline in your love for the Lord. You'll find a decline in a hunger for spiritual things. You'll just go, you'll find yourself getting dull and it's because you've not said no to these things that will wage war against your soul. You've got to take action. As a Christian, you can't be passive. You can't be passive. This This stuff is real. To give them any room is to invite destruction to your inner man to invite destruction to the life of God in you. They're enemies against God's life in you. They want to reduce you to animal status. Because basically what marks out an animal different from a human, they live by their instincts. That's what marks them out. They live by their instincts. People are different. They have a dignity. We're made in God's image. I think this is one of the reasons that um, Darwinian macroevolution is so popular, you know, that we've come from we've come from uh, monkeys. I think this is one of the reasons why it's so popular because if we can allow ourselves to believe we're fundamentally no, no different from animals, then we can behave like them. And it's, well, it's, we're just being true to ourselves. This is what I am. This is what I am. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just, you know, so it's what I do. And it removes accountability. No, it's not what we are. It's not what we are. It's a very different life that we're called to than the life of just living by your instincts. It's very different. It looks different. Peter goes on, keep your conduct among the Gentiles beautiful, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your beautiful deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now bear in mind, Peter was with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends, closest followers, and on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, which we call it, Jesus says something, doesn't he? Matthew 5, he says this, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your beautiful works, same word, and give glory to your father. So obviously Peter was there when he heard that. It went and he thought, it's beautiful. He's stuck. And he's bringing it. He's saying the same thing here. He's saying, keep your conduct in the world beautiful. So that when they speak it against you as evildoers, then they'll see your life and they'll think, man. And when God returns, there'll be silence. There'll be a silence that comes. Where before there was accusations. You see, Christians will get spoken against as evildoers. There's no two ways about it. For what we believe. We will get, um, people will slander us because of what we believe. If you're a Christian here and you make known what you believe, if you believe what the Bible teaches, there will be certain things in different generations whereby people will say, man, how can you believe that? You're, you're a bigot. You're so narrow. You're prejudiced. You're this, you're that. Because they will read things a certain way. They will re- if you take a line on certain things, take a line on issues of sexuality, you take a line on issues of um, abortion, you take a line on issues of injustice and, and things, people will, people will really say, how can you believe that? And there'll be accusations that come and they'll say, you're evil. They'll say, you're evil for believing that. If you say, you don't, if you say well, we don't agree with a certain thing, they'll say, oh, you hate those people. we say, no, we don't hate them, but we just don't agree. They won't sit and say, no, you're evil. That's what happens. So how, does, how do we silence that? Live a beautiful life. Live a beautiful life. 
the way you live should then, over time, people should see it. And then when God returns, it'll be like, man, we can't say anything. Look at what they've done. Look at the way they live. We might not be able to understand exactly what they believe, and we, we got it wrong when we first saw them. We thought, man, these, but look at what they've done. Look at the love. So a Christian, you know, a Christian may say, well, we don't believe in, we, we believe that homosexuality is wrong. We believe it's immoral. We believe it's wrong. Absolutely. No two ways about it. The Bible is absolutely clear. Absolutely clear. Many people, many of the people that are in hospices with AIDS are homosexuals. What should the Christian response be? Go and visit them and love them to death. You see? You say, so you take a certain line on what you believe and you say, we're not moving on that. It's God's word. It's totally, God is totally wise. He knows what you're saying. But what do we do? Our response would be love. Yeah? And so then as you do that, and as you go on doing that, people first of all think these people, they, 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 they hate gays. No, no, look, hold on, they're the only ones, they seem to be the ones that are doing the visiting. Well, how does that work? And you, just, you see how it works. This is what Peter's talking about here. So we need to live a beautiful life, but how do we do that? It's not always easy, is it? <laughs> By willpower? Doesn't work. Been there. <laughs> Doesn't work. It's through Jesus, isn't it? Listen to what Stephen Mayer, who is a very famous kind of philosophy scientist type in that whole world, he says this about Jesus. He is so compelling. Einstein thought so. Napoleon thought so. This Nazarene captivated their attention and he continues to captivate mine. I remember thinking at one point, if the Jesus of the Bible isn't real, I would need to worship the person who created the character. (laughs) He just thought this Jesus was so amazing that even if it wasn't real, who thought him up? I'm going to worship him. Because it's just, how could you think up someone like that? He's so amazing, you see. And the only, So the only way you're going to get to live a beautiful life as a Christian, I tell you, it's through the power of Jesus. It's not just saying, yes, Jesus is my example. I see the way he lived. I shall live the same. No, you won't. It will only lead to discouragement and depression. Have you ever done that? Have you just been so inspired by Jesus, you've been like, right, I'm going to do it. And a couple of hours later, you're thinking, oh man, let's lost my temper three times. You know, you think, oh. That's not the Christian life. He's the example. We follow him. No, the Christian life is, I can't do this. God says, great. You've finally seen it. <laughs> now let me fill you with the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, so that you can learn to depend on him and be filled with him, and he can manifest that life through you. It's a very different dynamic. You're totally dependent on him who lives in you by his Spirit. That's how... We do it. So it's supernatural, but it's very practical. Listen to what he says, the next verse. Be subject, that means be submissive, that means obey, for the Lord's sake, every human institution, whether it's the emperor, the supreme, we don't have an emperor, so prime minister, the supreme, or governors, so I guess MPs, police, traffic wardens, etc. And sin by them, <laughs> to, oh, ah, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. good. This isn't easy, is it? I've had a running battle with my inner man. The spirit and the flesh have had a running battle regarding traffic wardens over the last few years. Just tough. How do you treat them? We should honour them. We should honour them. That's what the Bible says. It's hard, isn't it? I can't do that in my own, because it winds me up. I won't have a go at them when they're giving someone else a ticket, let alone me. Do you know what I mean? In the flesh, I can't do it. I, can't, I think it's a, cause part of it, I think it's a God thing, part of it, because it is sometimes unjust and oppressive. But, you know, you, when you find yourself feeling the thing towards the person, you know you've crossed a line. But I think, God, help us. 
bosses. How do you cope with bosses that are manipulative, insecure, you know, unfair? How do you do it? I tell you, you won't do it in your own power. You need the Holy Spirit. But there is an obligation on you for the Lord's sake to honour them. There is. You don't try and get around it. Don't try and get around it. And you can dishonour people in two ways. You can dishonour them to their face or you can do it subtly. Neither of those things glorifies God. Neither of those things. You can rebel, obviously, or you can rebel subtly. No, for the Lord's sake, be subject. For the Lord's sake. That's the motivation. When your boss is being unfair, think, I wanna, I, everything in me cries out, why can't we just take this outside? I don't know, of the female equivalent, I don't know what girls think. But, right? Or maybe they think that, I don't know, who knows. But, <laughs> right? At that point, you say, I'm going to do what you say. Obviously, unless it's actually asking you to do something which is sinful, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be subject to you. And what's my motivation here? I love Jesus. Yeah? That's it. Don't try and find any other motivation. We won't find it. It's because I love him. And the Bible teaches that every human institution ultimately has been established by him. Now that's hard sometimes because it's very flawed, isn't it, sometimes? You think, ah, how could Jesus establish this person in this place? I don't know all the answers to that, but I know that ultimately... So for example, take the police. You may have had bad experience with the police. You may have had racist experience with the police. You may have had experience with the police where they've just been uptight and difficult, and you think, oh, I hate them. You could, you could, that could be where you're at. Okay, but let me try and show you how God, God has put the police in place. If there were no police, how many of you would have dared leave your house this morning to come to church? Probably none of you. Because as soon as those things are taken out of the way, like with New Orleans a couple of years ago with the hurricane, Katrina, as soon as those uh, governing authorities were taken out of place because of the circumstance, it just went wild, didn't it? Yeah? That's the scary thing. That's really what people are like. God, in his grace, gives us things like the police and other things. They're flawed. They sometimes do things wrong. But actually, the fact they are there means we can walk the streets. It's God's provision. And so as we honour those, we are saying, God, I'm honouring you here because you've put them in place. And as people in your workplace see the way you honour the boss, even though you don't necessarily agree, and you, you know, you, in appropriate ways you can make things clear, but they see you honouring, they say, why? And it gives you an opportunity to say, well, I, I, I'm doing it because I honour God. It, you can point to God. And it, and it helps to other people to understand, wow, God is involved in his world, God is providing. It's very, very practical, but it's very important. Teachers, teachers that are horrible, people that are over you and, and you just think, ah, what are you doing? You want to gossip about them? No, don't. Don't be subject to them. Why? Why should I? For the Lord's sake. <laughs> For the Lord's sake. Always, 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 always. It's like Jesus, you know, submitting to abuse and whippings and mockery and torture and all that stuff. You think, why did he do that? I mean, uh, was it at that point where, where um, Pontius Pilate said to him, you know, I could have you killed and Jesus said, you'd have no authority unless it was given to you from above. He's an unjust man. He was cruel, Pontius Pilate. But Jesus said, you would have no authority unless it was given to you from above. And so we submitted to him because it, it had been given from God. That's how, that's a godly worldview. It's so important that we take that on board zealously. Because if you don't take it on wholeheartedly, when the crunch moment comes, you won't, you know, you'll flip out. <laughs> so you've got to take, say, I'll receive this into my spirit. This is God's provision. So, um, 
Right. Next verse. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By, this is God's will, by doing good, by being good, by being upright. That means not doing something, not gossiping, not putting people down, not, but also doing good things, honouring people. You know, offer to make, offer, offer when, you, when you're doing your tea and coffee round, offer the difficult person. You want a coffee? Do it. Do you know, it's a little thing, it, it speaks volumes. Do good. As you do that, what will happen? It will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So you start in a new job, and you let everyone know you're a Christian, but however you let them know, because it's always good to just let people know. It's just a wonderful thing, right? So I don't go, he's a Christian over there, right? Ignorant people, right? A few months later, they see your life, they go, I'm not saying that no more. Fair play. It's the only person who doesn't grumble. The only person in the office who doesn't gossip. Yeah? Puts to silence. The ignorance of foolish people. There's many who would enjoy mocking Christians, what they believe, what they're willing to die for, all their talk of Jesus. But what is clear is this, is part of God's plan that the way we live, now this is important, the way we live in full view, on display, not hiding away in Christian ghettos, not jumping from CU to church, to prayer huddle, no, we live in the world, alright? And Christian music on the way from one to the other. No. Mustn't do that. Live in the world. And everyone knows what you're about. You're a Jesus person. That's what you are. No, you haven't got to wear funny t-shirts and rainbow straps, but you're just, you're clear about what you're about. You love Jesus, right? As you do that, not hiding away, fully engaged, living a beautiful life adorned with good works, it will silence people's prejudices, misconceptions and suspicions. And here's what I've found. I've found people that have taken time to get to know that in the first place we're definitely negative about the Lord within sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, start to ask questions. I want to find out more. In fact, when I've done questionnaires with people that haven't even known I'm a Christian, I'm doing a questionnaire on spirituality, just because I wanted to find out what people are thinking. There's, there's a, there's, there are questions and hunger but people very often don't, don't initially want to talk to a Christian about it because their assumption very often is that Christians are this, that or the other. Well, we, we have a responsibility to show them what a Christian is, yeah? It's someone who's completely like them and also someone who's nothing like them. That's what a Christian is. Yeah? Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is very, very important. Live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. The freedom we've got as Christians is staggering. It is very, very massive, and it takes a lot of maturity to walk in. I think it's a bit like this. Imagine you're a parent, um, and you've got your young kiddie, very young, you push them across the road in the buggy, right? And they get a bit older, and then you walk in and you hold their hand. And they get a bit older, and they walk with them, but you don't hold their hand. And they get a bit older, and you let them go ten paces ahead, because you want to see where they, whether they've got the stop, look, and listen thing. Okay? So you're watching. You go, okay, well, yeah? And then, then comes the day. We haven't, we haven't come there yet, so. But I mean, then comes the day where you let your child out alone. <laughs> and you say, see you in a minute. Over to the news agents to buy the paper or whatever. I, don't know, I, I, I can only imagine that at the point where you shut the door, the, the thing that you think is this, I really hope they've got it. All those years of training, this is how you cross the road. You stop, you look, 
you listen, you don't rush, you don't cross near park cars. At that point, you think, I just hope what I've put in them really is in them. <laughs> yeah? And they don't go out and play chicken on the motorway. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, they're, they're, they're like, it's in them. Yeah? So, they, so they, can, they can walk in the freedom they now have. Why? Because stuff's been put in them. And it's part of them. Yeah? So they think, no, no, I know what to do now. I do that now, and I do that now, and I don't cross there, but I, I cross here, and I wait for the green man. You, you just, I hope it's in them. We have freedom. We're not under the Ten Commandments as Christians. We're not under that. The Bible says the law is for the lawless. It's for to hem people in that would otherwise, no, the Bible says instead the law is written in our hearts. We, we just want to please God. We're not under that old system. The Christian life doesn't consist in rules, ultimately. It it's a relationship of love. There's a lot of freedom that we have. The Bible says that Christ is the end of the law for all those who believe. We're not under law. Christ has fulfilled the law. We're not under it. We are walking in grace. There's a lot of freedom there. It's the difference between walking in kind of, kind of a path there, like a maze, there's a big, huge uh, hedges, and it's like, okay, this way, okay, this it's, uh, and walking in a meadow. There's a lot of freedom. It takes maturity. Peter says, don't use it as a cover-up for evil. Don't start sinning and messing around, saying, well, it's all right, I'm free. You know? No, don't do that. Serve God. Serve God. Use, yeah, you're free. Yeah, of course you are, but use it, use it as servants of God. It's very important. So I can say, well, you know, police tell me what to do. I'm a son of God. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Who's here, who's here tell me what to do? I'll tell you what to do, mate. I'm going to judge angels one day. You know, you don't, no, you don't use the freedom like that. Yeah? So no, I'm, gonna, I'm free, okay, yeah, you don't, yeah, you turn me off. You don't know who I am, but I'm going to honour you. Because God's put you in place. So use my freedom as a servant of God, yeah? Don't, 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 it's a hard thing. You've got to be like that. And in the final verse, honour everyone. It's a great blanket rule there for you. How do I treat people? Honour them. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Now, honour means to prize. It means to revere. Prize everyone. Never look down on anyone. If you ever find your eyes just haughty eyes, God hates haughty eyes. Watch it. Watch it. Watch yourself people that you just despise, watch it. Gary Glitter, watch it. Watch your attitude towards them. There, but for the grace of God. Careful. Careful. We're all the same. We're all sinners. Watch it. Honour everyone. It's very countercultural. Prize everyone. We're to honour the image of God in every person. Even if the person's, just, you think, man, is, they're, just, they're just messed up. There's something there still of the image of God. <laughs> Look for that. I'm not saying you just trust everyone, let everyone walk all over you. Don't hear what I'm not saying, you're wise. But listen, honour. Honour everyone in your heart. Um, especially the leader of the country. Honour the emperor. It's, it's interesting, you see. It's interesting. Now, Peter is saying, honour the emperor. Now, in those days, what would the emperors do? They would demand worship. Yeah? In those days, the Roman emperor would say, I'm God, you need to worship me. And a lot of the Christians got killed because they wouldn't worship the emperor. So Peter's saying, honour the emperor. What's he saying there? He's saying, well, it's a, quite a clever thing he's saying. He's saying, on the one hand, he said, honour everyone, honour the emperor. He's saying, the emperor's just like everyone. He's not God. He's just the same as everyone. But on the other hand, he's saying, even though he's blasphemous and evil and wants to be worshipped, still honour him. Okay? So it's a clever little flip thing he's doing there. So honour the prime minister. Honour the you might you might not be a, a Labour Party fan. Honour the Prime Minister. You might not like the policies. 
Honour the Prime Minister. You might think he's not charismatic, not doing well. Honour him. Pray for him. That's what we should do. Again, you think, because oh, our culture is actually just rip them apart. Isn't it? That's what we do. Make jokes. It's, it's, Honour him. Prize him. I wouldn't fancy his job. <laughs> yeah? I wouldn't be doing too well. Honour him. Just immortal. This is very important. Love the brotherhood. There should be a special affection reserved for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Prioritise one another. Keep a special eye out for one another. Add that filial, brotherly, sisterly love and affection for one another. When you say to another, how you're doing, mean it. Be interested. Love one another. Very important. Very, very important. It's the love that God's put in our hearts for each other. Let that flow and let that grow. Fear God. This is a whole sermon. I'm not going to do it to you, but it's a whole sermon. Fear God. It's good that we laugh a lot. It's good that we joke a lot. It's good that we're informal. But in it all, do not lose the fear of God. Do what you can to maintain mighty reverence in your heart towards God. I don't think we do reverence well, if I'm honest. I think we struggle to know how to kind of be intimate and, you know, pray, you know, we, 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 the informal thing. And No, say, God, help me. Teach me how to fear you. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear. Have a reverence in your heart. Watch. Tread carefully. I want to say, tread carefully. Be intimate with him, but don't be familiar in a dishonouring way. Tread carefully. Meditate on his holiness. Don't be foolish in your speech. Jokes about Jesus. Pretending to pray. Pretending to praise. Pretending to speak in tongues. Playing around with those kinds of things. Stay away from it. Fear God. Fear God. Have reverence around these things. Just be aware of that. And let's let that reverence, coupled with our burning love, seep into every part of our lives so that many, many, many people out there will realise, wow, there's something in this Christianity. (laughs) Yeah? There's something in this. Jesus is real. He changes people's lives. He doesn't just make them go weird, he makes them go good. And I want to just end by saying that, you know, good wins good wins. It does. Sometimes you read the paper, you think, is that the, I tell you, good wins. The Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah? That's challenging. I believe that's the answer. That's the answer. When we go out and reach these teenagers on the estates, we want to go with good news and we want to live beautiful lives, don't we? Yeah? Win them. Starting a, um, looking to start a young mums group on a local estate, yeah, we want to do them good. Yeah? We want to treat them good. We want to honour them. Absolutely. Natalie's looking at starting the uh, work, working with the prostitutes and that. We want to do good and beautiful work in their lives and bring good news. We want to see good overcome evil in their lives. But more than any of those projects, day to day, where you are, workplace, campus, family, friends, live a beautiful life. <coughs> acknowledge, acknowledge that you can't do it in yourself and say, Jesus... Fill me with your spirit again and again and again. And God will help you. Amen? Amen. 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 Lord, we-